So welcome to another episode of the Fat for Weight Loss Show. Today I'm interviewing Brian Williamson and we will get into it right after this. An important food, a healthy food and a basic food that can be served in more than a hundred different ways. Hello and welcome to the Fat for Weight Loss Show. My name is Aaron and I am your host for today's episode. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, let me introduce myself. Firstly, I am from Australia, if you hadn't already guessed from the accent, and I run a ketogenic food blog called Fat for Weight Loss, found at fatforweightloss.com.au. And the aim of this podcast is to dig into the world of nutrition, fitness, and everything in between. I'm a nutritional therapist and an advanced sports exercise nutritional advisor. However, I'm not a doctor, so I cannot give you any medical advice. This also applies to any guests involved in this show. Please make sure you consult your doctor before making any changes to your diet or medication. You can find me on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Fat for Weight Loss for delicious keto recipes, meal plan videos, and drool-worthy food photography. So let's get right into it. Today, I'm honored to be interviewing Brian Williamson, founder of KetoCon, the largest ketogenic conference on the globe, and also Keto Evangelist, partners in crime with Danny Vega over on the Ketogenic Athlete, founder of Ballistic Keto, which is an MCT oil powder company specializing in powders made without sweeteners, and so much more. This podcast is a great one, and we talk about how humor can get you into trouble, how the ketogenic diet has worked tremendously for Brian and his son who suffers from epilepsy, and how quality over quantity is paramount and a host of other topics if you haven't already head over to check out the keto evangelist podcast and the ketogenic athlete podcast if you're into that kind of stuff and stick around to the end as brian gives you some very helpful tips for parents who might also have a epileptic daughter or son and want to know more about the ketogenic diet specifically for epilepsy so brian welcome to the fat for weight loss show how are you going today uh, I am well. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's uh, I'm I'm pleased and a little humbled to be in uh, such great company. I, I've, I'm a fan of your show, and I've I've heard some of the guests that are on, and uh, I hope I live up to uh, the expectations. Uh, I'm a little nervous. I'm not used to being on this side of it. I'm not used to being on this side of the interview. So, uh, I, I I can empathize with that. I remember um, doing a podcast a few. Uh, a few months ago, I think, with Keto Connect. And I remember just being on the other side of the podcast, feeling the exact same way. So (laughs) we've got some, we've got some great people here, but, but this episode is going to be really, really awesome too. So, um, I like to start the podcasts with sort of like a little bit of an icebreaker question. And it tends to be, uh, something that people get stumped over so badly because they go, well, um, I don't have anything funny that I can say. <laughs> and I go, sure. well, <laughs> and, and so this question is, uh, is fantastic for you because, uh, you're someone who, uh, you know, will take funny to the next level. So do you, do you have any, uh, can you sort of describe to us, um, the way that sometimes being funny can get you in trouble? So I, I don't know that it's to the next level per se. It's probably to the wrong level. Um, so <laughs> Um, I have a, I have a history of, um, so I, I like the idea of humor. I've actually, like I was, I studied humor and like, I'm, I'm a, I'm a student of things that are funny, if that makes sense. So, um, I constantly am trying to be funny. And in that, 
pursuit. And and this this I think this this goes beyond you know geographic boundaries. I think this is regardless of culture. There's always that one guy who's trying to be funny, or that one gal is trying to be funny. Um, and the problem is is not that you're ne- the problem is never that you're never funny. It's sometimes you are funny. So you have to like you want to chase that. So like there are moments where you're like, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm nailing this. And you start chasing it. And the problem is you chase it too far. And a lot of times I get in trouble whenever I start chasing a little too far. Um, particularly when it starts to go a little blue or a little risque or the, the entendres go from double to triple and (laughs) it just, it goes out of control, especially with my wife. I get the, um, I get the stink eye from her. Um, (laughs) fortunately for me, I'm I'm at least able to like read the room and know okay I should probably stop now. Um I've got a friend who somehow is not capable of of doing that and he's one of these guys who is just he'll talk to anybody and he's always outgoing and that's that's not a problem but he really really thinks he's funnier than he really is and he goes way too far and he doesn't realize he's going way too far and <laughs> The everyone's every like every guy in the room is trying to tell him no 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 don't say that don't say that you know and every every like sensitive person is cringing and we're just trying to shut him down but he thinks because we're reacting in any way that we think it's funny so he's going even further so at least I'm not afflicted with that but there are times where um, you know I I think I'm pursuing the joke and I think I'm doing a good job um, it and. Uh, the problem is, like I said, occasionally I can I can push the boundary a little too far, and it still remains funny. The problem is the next time it's not, and I have to like backtrack it. And again, you know, it, it mostly comes from my wife, and she's a she's a good like measure of whether or not I'm <laughs> taking things too far. And unfortunately, <laughs> it means if I if I've taken it too far, there's no like yeah, there's no rewind. Right? Like you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. So right. Um, so yeah, it's a, but it's a risk I'm willing to take, uh, apparently over and over again. Um, well, I think, I think in the pursuit of humor and, and anything funny, really, you sort of have to push boundaries and if it's not pushing boundaries, then it has to be, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Is there any other humor that isn't pushing boundaries? Probably not. So, uh, well, I mean, it's pushing some kind of boundary, right? So like, there's this thing that, uh, like I, so I studied this when I was in college. I actually wrote a paper on on what makes things funny, and um, there's a so I and I diagrammed it out. And like there's this meta umbrella of um, you have to be familiar with the subject matter, right? So like if it's a subject that if like if it's a pop culture joke that I'm not familiar with that pop culture. I will. Ne- it doesn't matter how hysterically funny or witty the joke is. I will never laugh at it. It just won't make any sense to me. So under the umbrella of it has to be relevant to you. There's a few things that actually make things funny. It can be extreme, absurd, or out of place. Those are the things that that generally tend to make things funny. So like you're expecting a certain thing, but it veers off in a direction that you didn't expect. Then you start to laugh. You know or you know, Benny Hill was a huge, uh, are you familiar with Benny Hill? Um, uh, no, I'm not. Um, okay. the name rings a, rings a bell, but I'm not. Well, he familiar. was a, he was a, he was a British, um, it was a, it was a British TV show in the eighties and seventies and eighties. And he was hysterical because he would do, he would basically do all three of those things. He'd make it extreme out of place 
or, um, un- or, or unexpected. Right. Um, and th- that to me is what made things, made everything funny. So, um, the, the problem is when you go extreme or out of place or anything, you can, you can go too extreme or you can go too far out of place. And that's, that's when you start going into like troubled territory. So, right. um, <laughs> I, yeah. I used to listen to a, well, watch a lot of Monty Python. Uh, They're perfect. Yes. Perfect example. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, when you said British humor, I was like, Ooh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Coconuts and you know, the Holy grail yes. and, <laughs> and those, so you want to know, I mean, that, those guys, that Holy grail is a masterclass on what's funny. Like, and it's, and there's not a single scene that isn't just hysterical, like in and of yeah. itself, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's skit after skit of just hysterically funny. Um, oh, I I just remember, you know, reciting all of the sections and being able to recite them and then put them together. But then, you know, as, as, as you said before, when someone doesn't know what you're talking about, right. with, when it comes to Monty Python, it's like, you look like a really big idiot when you try to clap two <laughs> co- coconuts together. And so I yes. just found them. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yeah, so, I, so if anyone doesn't know you know, Monty Python on the podcast that's listening to this right now. I just sounded like a, a, a great big idiot as well. So pushing the boundaries of <laughs> humor. No way. That's what we're all about. That's sort of like, to, if, if you don't know Monty Python, you should know Monty Python, you know, because yeah, they're the, look, the world's hard enough. Like life is, is difficult enough, you know, and you should take some time to just laugh and just like, so the first time I ever, so the, okay, let's digress a little bit. Um, yeah. the first time I ever saw Holy Grail, the scene, I've never laughed harder than this in my entire life. The, the, the black Knight scene, um, you know, tis, a, tis, but a scratch, tis, but a flesh wound. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> that really scene, a flesh wound. Yes. Okay. I laughed like I was, uh, I was a freshman or sophomore in high school. I was in a 10th or 11th grade or ninth or 10th grade. I don't remember exactly which. And I was staying over the, I was spending the night at a friend's house. We had a whole bunch of people there. I'd never seen it. And I was one of the only people there who had never seen it. So I, you know, I'm watching this and I'm hooked from this, from the get go, like from the, just the initial coconuts banging together. Right. Yep. And, you know, um, silly English Knigget and, you know, <laughs> we're talking <laughs> African and European swallow, you know, the whole yep. bit, you know, and then you get to the black night scene and I just, I, I was laughing so hard. Like I thought I was going to urinate on myself. Like, um, <laughs> that's how bad, like that to me. And that movie will hold a place in my heart all the time forever from now yeah. on for, because of that. Um, airplane is another movie. I'm not sure if you're, if you've seen that one, um, no, I haven't it's seen an that. early eighties movie. Um, before I saw Monty Python, their whole grail, my favorite funny movie was airplane and Holy grail knocked it out of, out of first place just because, just because of that one scene and just how smart it was. Um, well, but, for, yeah. for, for anyone who hasn't seen um, that scene, I'm pretty sure uh, from memory, it, it's basically two knights fighting and they get to the point where they end up just cutting each other's arms off and legs off and, and they're still trying to battle. And it, it, maybe that's a bad expl- explanation. You really have to go and watch it, but it is just right. hilarious. So it's King Arthur trying to cross a bridge and that's the Black Knight is protecting the bridge. None shall pass. And so King Arthur really needs to cross the bridge. The black Knight says, you're not going to go. So naturally they both have swords and you're expecting this epic duel. And this is what I'm saying. This is out of place, right? This is why it's hysterical. You're expecting an an epic duel and two seconds into it, 
King Arthur chops the guy's arm off, <laughs> chops his sword arm off, you know, and says, I've bested you. Stand aside, you know, stand aside, worthy foe. And the Black Knight's like, what are you talking about? Tis but a flesh wound, you know, <laughs> and he's spurting blood out of his arm. And he's like, you're still not going to pass. So, like, he slowly starts ripping, like, cutting off all the limbs until he's just sitting on the ground, a stump. And he's yeah. still, he's still, uh, he's still yelling at him as, he, as, as, as Arthur crosses the bridge, come back here. I'll bite your legs off. You know? So like, it's just hyst- like, it's so well done. It was so brilliant. Uh, I just, yeah, I, I remember I, I probably wore the VHS tape out watching <laughs> yes. that, that movie just so oh, many yeah. times, <laughs> but yes. uh, I, let, let's digress um, okay. from Monty Python and, uh, and all of the wonderful British humor that is out there. Um, yeah. Sorry about that. No, <laughs> I, I think I think if, if for anyone who's listening, if you haven't seen anything to do with Monty Python, go and watch Holy Grail, and then go and watch The Life of Brian, and then there's a whole bunch of other ones with you know like uh, the the Olympics with for the the running race for deaf people, I think it was, and the the, <laughs> yeah. the, 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 the siren goes off and they're all standing there at the they're start all line. standing it's there just... at the starting blocks. Yes, <laughs> um, but uh, I wanted to ask you, how did uh, you know? Trying to jump from from humor to keto is really hard, so I'm thinking I'm just going to pull the bandaid off and go straight. That's fine. To it. That's but a good call. How did you get into the ketogenic diet, and what was what was maybe the tipping point that you realized that the ketogenic diet was going to be what you followed for potentially the rest of your life? Uh, so I got into keto because of my son. So when my son was younger, uh, several years ago, he, uh, my wife and I were at a movie, and my oldest son. Uh, called us as the movie was ending and said, something's wrong with Noah, our middle son. And he said, okay, what does that mean? And he's, and our older son said that Noah had collapsed. And of course, you know, we're concerned. Um, um, and we said, you know, what exactly is wrong with Noah? And he said, you know, we're not, I'm not really sure, but I called the ambulance cause he's, he was on the floor. He fell down. I don't know exactly what. So we rushed home. Uh, there's an ambulance in the driveway. There are paramedics uh, and sheriff deputies in the house. And, um, you know, my son, my Noah, my son is, is on a gurney and he's very confused and he's crying and he doesn't know what's going on. Uh, so obviously we're very confused. We don't know what's going on. And uh, we go to the hospital and the, uh, the medical staff says, and the EMT say, you know, based on eyewitness descriptions of what happened based upon what your, your son and your daughter told us. Uh, it seems like he had a seizure. It seems like your son had a seizure. And of course that's something, that's not something that any parent wants to hear. Um, mm. so I said, uh, okay, you know, well, what does that mean exactly? And they said, well, we need to get uh, an appointment with a neurologist and we need to get you a brain scan. So, um, we, that following week, we contacted a neurologist. We um, scheduled a, uh, uh, a brain scan, and it came back anomalous. And that's, that's not a word you want as a parent to hear. Um, your child's brain scan is anomalous, uh, which is another way of saying that your child has epilepsy. So mm. he was diagnosed with epilepsy, and <clears throat> the, the standard of care for epilepsy is to basically pick a medication at random and a dosage that is approximate to age and weight and see how it works. Um, and if it doesn't, if that particular medication doesn't work to stop or prevent or, you know, um, minimize the seizures, 
then they try something else. And that's basically how it goes. So they had them on a medication and the medication that they had them on wasn't stopping the seizures, but it did limit it to about once every three months. So every three months we got real, real like nervous and tense because uh, mm-hmm. we knew that he was going to have a breakout seizure. It just, it just, that was the trend. So after he'd have it, after he would have a seizure, we'd take him back to the neurologist and they would, they would change his medication or up his medication or add another to combine um, his medication. Um, and after doing this for a while, there was a particular period where uh, the medication combination that they had him on was the worst for him. And what I mean is he went from having a seizure once every three months to having three in a week, three or four in a week. And the one that I remember the most, um, he was in the bathroom uh, and we had to break the door down because we heard him fall. And I'm holding him in my lap and I thought to myself that he was going to die um, because he was turning blue. He couldn't breathe. you know. And so he, he was diagnosed with tonic-clonic seizures, which used to be known as grand mal seizures. And they're full body seizures. They, you know, there's foaming at the mouth. There is um, eyes rolling in the back of the head. They turn blue because they stop breathing. Um, and it, it can actually be the cause of, of death in some, in some cases. So knowing this, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not pleased as I'm witnessing this. So um, Mm -hmm. he came around and we decided, all right, you know, clearly this medication combination isn't working. So we need to take him back to the doctor. And since we had had several different combinations, several different tries of different things, uh, the doctor basically kind of half just at, at a just whim, you know, just kind of tossed out there. You may consider the ketogenic diet. Now, and I had heard, and she also called it the uh, ketogenic diet or modified Atkins diet is what she called it. Mm. And I'd heard of both of those things uh, because of my time um, in the gym when I was in the Air Force. And I knew fitness competitors and physique competitors. And they would would go on keto or Atkins close to competition time in order to shed body fat. So I'd heard of it. But when I asked her, like, why? And that's what I knew it for. So my, my exposure to the ketogenic diet at that point was it's a way to get shredded, right? So I asked her, mm-hmm. like, why would that have an impact on epilepsy? And she said, I don't know. No one really knows, but it seems to. So at this point, I'm, like, intrigued. So uh, I go home and I try to find every book, every article, every website, everything that I can find on keto. Uh, and at the time, there wasn't a lot. So I was reading a lot of low carb, high fat stuff. I was reading a lot of banting stuff. I was reading a lot of um, paleo stuff because it was the closest thing to what I could find. Um, there was a lot of keto stuff, ketogenic stuff in the literature, in the scientific literature. So I was pouring through that as well. Um, but I would just read and read and read. And the more I read, the more I thought, we need to give this a chance, like give it a shot. Um, the medication uh, that, that uh, people with epilepsy have to take is the same kind of medication that they give to uh, for for depression and other neurological disorders, and it has side effects. There's weight gain. There's emotional disturbance mm-hmm. or imbalance. Um, there's feelings of sadness. There's feelings of anger. There's you know just all of these things that that play into that. So my son, uh, you know, he's going through his teenage years. Um, his young teenage years and he's dealing with all of this that's going on. He now has epilepsy and now he's got all these, he's already going through puberty and he's going through all that 
the puberty emotions and then combine that with all the stuff that the medication's doing to him. He's putting on weight and he's just, it's just this downward spiral thing. So I approached him and I said, you know, why don't, why don't we try keto? Like, why don't we try putting you on a ketogenic diet? This episode is brought to you by the complete keto diet. Have a think about this for a second. How long will it take you to reach your health goals? Is it four weeks? Is it three months? Is it six months? Is it a year? Maybe you don't need to lose weight, but you're struggling with the whole lifestyle thing that everyone keeps talking about. Who is going to be around long enough or be committed enough to you to help you achieve your health goals? That answer is me. I created the Complete Keto Diet specifically to help 10,000 people achieve their health goals over the next five years. That means I'm there for you in the beginning, through the plateaus, and the maintenance of your journey towards better health. But why 10,000 people? Well, simply put, I want to bring you the most actionable and realistic ways to get your health right using the ketogenic diet. But I also want to make sure that everyone succeeds and nobody gets left behind. Your name is very important to me. So how does it all work? Well, this is done with a ketogenic meal plan that is sent to your inbox every single week. You might have seen some of my YouTube meal plan videos on creating simple ketogenic meal plans, which are getting very close now to a million views alone. The advantage of my meal plans over others is that you are given simple recipes with simple ingredients with a great variety of food. You won't be eating the same meal every day, and best of all, I include substitutions for dairy-free, nut-free, and other types of allergens. Plus, all of the ratios are calculated for you. You'll be saving money with shopping lists that only include the items that you actually need. Not only does it come with weekly meal plans, but we do a weekly coaching session with everyone so that you can get your answers solved right away. You also get exclusive tools and resources, exclusive deals on all your favorite keto-friendly products that will probably save you more money than you think, plus a community of people to help you always succeed and keep you accountable every single step of the way. Sustainability is the key to long-term success with the ketogenic diet. I am not here to help you drop as much weight as possible in a three-month period. I am here for life. If you think this is what you've been looking for, I offer a seven-day free trial for anyone who is looking to see if it's the right fit for them. I offer steep discounts for six-month and yearly memberships that include one-on-one sessions with me as well, so you'll always have the answers. Head on over to www.completeketodiet.com and enter the code PODCAST to receive 15% off the membership. Oh, and did I mention that everything is in Australian dollars? Hurrah! Go to www.completeketodiet.com and enter the code PODCAST to start moving towards your health goals today. Mm. So I'm a, I'm a sugar addict uh, my entire life. Um, and I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, uh, like, that's what I'm focused on. Like, how am I supposed to give up the things I like? Because that really was the things that I like was I like sweet stuff. I like sugar. Um. And that's one of the reasons like American Chinese food is my favorite because all of their sauces are sweet and you know, they're all breaded and it's, it was delightful to me. Um, Mm. and my son shared that whether it's genetics or environment, I don't know, probably a combination of both, but he was also of the same ilk. Uh, and so when I approached him and said, Hey, you should try this. He said, I don't think I can. It's not possible. I don't think he said, basically, you know, no one can do this. So I decided I would show him that it's possible in order to basically 
convince him that he, he could, right? So I was like, if the only option I've got is to do this and show him that a human being can sustain themselves on this um, and get him, you know, like, why not? Why not give it a shot? You know, because this, you know, this is my son's health. I want, I want him to, I want him to get better. Mm-hmm. So I went on keto um, and it turns out that I was uh, sick, fat, if not diabetic, pre-diabetic, I was, um, and, I, and I was depressed. And I didn't know any of that until I actually started. So I decided, I woke up one morning, dragged myself out of bed, and I said, okay, today's the day I'm going to start. Um, started eating a bunch of fat, stopped eating all the sugar and the grains and all the other stuff that goes along with it, and started feeling good uh, and started feeling like, I didn't want to stay in bed all day and I didn't want to like just end my existence, you know, um, not to be too morbid, just like there was, there were plenty of times where I thought like, I don't want to go on anymore. Like, I don't want to actually, I don't want to take active steps to prevent my life, but I'd be fine if I just stay here like in bed laying down for the rest of my life. Like I don't care. Um, Mm. but so I, I, I did all that and I started feeling good and, um, the only, the only word that I can think of to describe how I started feeling was euphoric. And I don't know that that actually does justice to the sensation, but it's the best I can do. Um, and I, I turned to my wife one day uh, after starting this and said, hey, you know, is this, is this what normal people feel like? Because I understand now. And she said, yeah, this is, this is what it's like to be like feeling normal. So it was kind of eye-opening to me. Um, so I didn't start keto as a, as a, as a way to lose weight. I started it to show my son that he could eat keto for, and, and, um, treat his epilepsy at the same time and still be happy with the food. Cause he's, he's a big time, like food, emotional guy, mm-hmm. um, just like me. So on what I didn't expect was I dropped like 70 pounds and wow. I, what I didn't expect was feeling like energy and really excited and just like, I felt good all of a sudden, you know, um, there was a turning point at one point in time where I couldn't, I remember waking up, I remember waking up one morning. Um, and at the time I was working a job that was, um, that was about an hour and a half away from where I lived. Um, and it wasn't an hour and a half of stalled driving, you know, rush hour driving. It was an hour and a half at four o'clock in the morning when no one's on the road, just flying down the highway, right? Driving. Oh my gosh. So, <laughs> so far. Uh, right. And so I remember being in the living room, it's totally dark and like not being able to tie my shoes. Cause it was knocking the breath out of me. Like I was so fat. I couldn't lean over and tie my shoes. Cause the, my, the belt line was just like compressing my diaphragm. So I remember like having to like, um, like take a second and like hold my breath and lean forward, get as much of it as I could done and get back "Ah, ah," and then go back in and try to finish it before I ran out of breath, you know, and it was moments like that. I was like, how did I get here? You know, I used to, Mm -hmm. I wrestled, I've always been in the martial arts. I've been, I've been in the gym lifting weights. Like, how did I get here? I was on the track team in high school. I, I got, I varsitied in multiple sports, you know, and now I'm this just ridiculously out of shape fat guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not the person that I thought I was, you know, that I didn't want to be that way. So all of these sort of led 
to like epiphanies that I had as I was becoming keto and I started getting energy and starting feeling better. So my son noticed the physical changes. He saw me getting smaller and smaller. And he of course was suffering from the side effects of the of the medication. And he decided he wanted to try it for that reason. And I didn't care what reason it was, you know, um, as long as he was trying it. So <clears throat> we started him on keto and he started feeling much better. And he went from having seizures every three months to having, uh, to being seizure free for two years while on keto. Um, wow. and then when he started college, he had three small breakout seizures and then he was another seizure free for two years. And then he recently had a seizure. And when we asked him about it, he had eaten some food that he, what he knew he wasn't supposed to eat the day before. Um, so I, he's, he's pretty convinced at this point that staying keto is probably in his best interest. Um, that's just a side note. But at, as, as Noah and I started moving along and my wife started noticing the differences too, she was interested and she wanted to get and, and be keto. And, and, and my wife has never been anything but petite. So she mm -hmm. wanted to do it because she wanted to just be healthy and be strong and be fit and, you know, um, all of those things. So as time, I, and I, if I'm, if I'm rambling, please stop me. Um, no, 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 no. It's really interesting. I love it. So as time went on and I started like feeling so good about myself and started feeling good in my own skin, I figured, you know, people need to know about this. Like this is, there was a period of time I was a vegan in college, right? And I remember like hating it, but thinking this is the healthiest way to eat. And I, I kept thinking to myself, is life really that kind of compromise to where you have to sacrifice any enjoyment in order to be healthy? Like mm -hmm. I, it's something is wrong with that equation. If that's the case. Um, and I remember, um, thinking along those lines when I got into the keto world, into the ketogenic stuff, thinking this is how I was meant to eat. I love steak. I love beef. I love chicken. I love pork. Like I, just, I like meat. I don't mm. care for vegetables. I love fat, you know, and those are things like I like eating this way. And the more I did it, obviously the less of a sugar addict I became, uh, in terms mm. of like seeking it out. Um, the, the funny part about that is you don't realize how much sugar is in your food until you have to clean your cupboard, you know? Oh man. Yeah. It's in everything. Right. And you don't, you think, okay, I got rid of the, the white granulated stuff. And then you go to the cupboard and you grab something and you're just like the first ingredients, the first ingredient is sugar. And you're like, dang, I really like this. And oh, by the way, <laughs> this meal that I've been eating for all my entire life, the reason I guess I like it is because it was in this sugared sauce thing. So I got to get rid of it. Mm. So I don't like that meal anymore. So I got to figure mm. something else out. Right. So, and I, and this is where a lot of people have difficulty. Um, you know, they start feeling feelings of, of deprivation and that's something we can talk about, but, um, it's, it was going through all of that. And I decided, you know, someone, people need to know about this because I, I can guarantee you there are more than just me who think this is the best way to eat and they're comfortable and they thrive and it's, it's helping them. So I started a blog, uh, the Keto evangelist blog. Um, and I used to write every day. I wrote an article. I would go and I would just like, learn from my experiences, learn from the, the articles that I read, the books that I read, the, the podcasts that I listened to, the audio books that I listened to. Um, 
and I would just write and write and write and write and write. And I had a, I, I um, started some social media groups in Facebook and, you know, just tried to slowly build uh, an audience so people could, you know, have a resource that I didn't have when I was starting. It really was the whole point. And I wanted to talk about everything from, you know, getting your mind right into, you know, the actual technical scientific stuff, everything in between. Um, and I, I just, I worked on that, um, just every day. And then I decided one day, like I was doing the dishes and I thought if someone's doing the dishes, they can't read the articles. So I need to start a podcast. So I started the first ketogenic podcast, Mm. um, the ketoevangelist podcast named after the blog. Um, and the whole premise of that was very much like what you do, you know, you just talk to people, um, in different walks of life, um, researchers, scientists, regular folks who are either studying keto or implementing keto, whatever, and just different aspects of it in order to help get the word out, to get people informed about the benefits uh, of mm-hmm. the ketogenic diet. Um, mm-hmm. and from there, um, we, we just kind of branched out into multiple things, uh, you've talked to Danny Vega, my co-host on the Ketogenic Athlete podcast. Yep. Um, yep. We've had the the Ketoevangelist Kitchen podcast. Um, there's just a ton of you know just work that we've put into just making sure people had resources available to them. Like I said, that that I didn't have when I was starting, so that it's easier. My, my mission is to make it impossible for someone to not be keto. They may choose not to be but not because there's no resources available to learn how or to figure out what's what. Right. So I want to, and and this might be a fantastic segue into the, the fact that you started KetoCon. And so, you know, all of, all of that knowledge and all, all of that, uh, that research that you put into writing the blog and, and doing it with the, you know, there's a, there's a why behind the why I always talk about uh, the why behind the why it's like not the initial why, but it's like, what's the big why underneath all of this. And it sounds like you've got a pretty strong one. Um, and so how did you go from doing, you know, the podcast and the blog and all that sort of stuff into actually transitioning that into something like KetoCon, which is now uh, a massive ketogenic conference that that people come to from all over the world like what what was that transition for you uh well it's it's funny that you ask that question because when you when you're ignorant of all the things that are involved it's easy to start a conference um if someone (laughs) tells you what actually is needed to start a conference that's a totally different story like you're i think you'd be less inclined Mm -hmm. to actually want to start it at that point um but that's so KetoCon started in the living room of, of a friend of mine. Her name is Mary Roberts. She's also one of my coaches, um, my executive coaches for the, the coaching program that we do. Um, and it's her family and my family had grown up years together in the same small town in Texas after I got out of the Air Force. And I was sitting in her living room and I said, hey, you know what would be cool? We should have a conference. We should, we should have a KetoCon that people can come in and learn about and kind of experience it and whatever. And she said, yeah, that, should, that would be cool. So I kept mulling this idea over in my head for a couple of months. And then uh, I met uh, at Paleo FX is another conference that takes place in Austin, Texas, where I live. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I heard that Jimmy Moore was going to be there. Um, so I, I texted him and I said, hey, let, let me buy you lunch. You know, just let's, let's just have lunch. And he said, okay, cool. 
So I met with him and I said, Hey, I got this idea for KetoCon. What do you think? And he said, do it, do it. So I just, yeah. hit, just hearing someone else say it kind of motivated me to keep thinking, you know, moving forward. So, um, I started putting the, the framework together, uh, for it. I brought on, uh, Robin Switzer who ran, who's basically the operations manager for all of it. She's now my COO. Um, and she and I just, um, talked to anyone and everyone we could to learn as much as we can. Like we'd never, neither one of us had ever put on a conference before, but we had really high standards. Um, so that makes it even harder. Uh, and we (laughs) wanted to make it just, we wanted to out of the gate. We wanted to make it premiere and just really, really, really nice. And she was the right person for the job. She did it. She just, she nailed it. Um, we, uh, We've, this is this upcoming in 20, in 2019 will be our third year doing it, and we still have. Let's see, it's October. Um, we still have a few, like nine months to go before the conference actually takes place, and we've sold over a thousand tickets at this point. So um, that's fantastic. It's it is officially the largest uh, ketogenic conference, low carb, high fat ketogenic conference in the world at this point. Um, hmm. and wow. we're going to sell even more tickets as, as the date gets closer. Um, but we're just, just super stoked about it. Um, it's, what's really great is the community that we've built off of it. And I think this is the most, most common feedback we get from people who've gone to it is the, the information's fantastic. The, the speakers are, are great and they're, they're almost rock stars in this arena, you know, just, just because <laughs> yeah. you know, people are starved for, for more information about ketogenic diet because it almost seems too good to be true. And, Mm. and people love the, the speakers and they love getting, getting to hobnob with, um, their, their favorite personalities and, you know, the, the folks they learn from all the time. But what really seems to be the thing that everyone just keeps coming back to in terms of our, the feedback they give to us is the community that we've built where everyone's just there to help and, and empower and encourage and just, there's, it's no negativity. And one of the reasons for that is that Robin and I, we, we set a standard pretty high, pretty early on that we weren't going to work with just anyone. Like we're not gonna, we're not going to hamper all the hard work that we've done up to now to chase a buck or to, you know, to make a short term profit and, and waste the long term benefit of the community. And we've kind of operated from there. So we don't, you know, we're very, we're, we're very picky about vendors. We're very picky about speakers. We're very picky about, uh, what, what things we will allow and won't allow. And it has really paid dividends in terms of being able to hold a really, really, um, strict line, uh, so that people can come in and they know they're not going to be like bamboozled by someone. Like if you go to a ketogenic conference and like they have a bunch of stuff with sugar in it, or if you go to a ketogenic conference and there's all this low fat stuff, you know, that's, it's, you know, just because someone slaps keto on the name doesn't make it of, you know, a keto friendly or a keto approved kind of uh, thing. So we really wanted to hold a really high standard and that, and I gotta be honest with you, that sucks from a financial standpoint because there are people who are Mm. sort of shady and they know they're in a gray area and they know that they're walking a really like tenuous line, but they'll throw more money Mm. at you than you've, than you've ever seen hoping that they'll, you know, convince you otherwise. And 
you know, when someone dangles a really large check in front of you saying, come on, it's not that big of a deal. You know, it's, sometimes it's hard to say no, but you, you know, we, we do, we have right. to. So, you know, yeah. those, those are, it's, yeah. It's, it sounds like you, you value quality over quantity. Um, and when you go through something like that with a whole bunch of different vendors who are trying to sell magic, um, you know, it's very, it's very easy to say, well, we could expand this event by tenfold if we had that much money and, and, you know, we could be doing all these things for the community, but in a sense, um, the, you know, you, 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 that would be diluting the, the community. And so, um, what do you think about, uh, and, and this is something that I've been thinking about a lot recently as well. Um, there's a there's a lot of people out there who just uh, grind every day and they get a lot of work done, but um, but sometimes the the quality is lost when you come into putting out a lot of um, content, I guess. Uh, and and so my approach recently has been to really dial it back and come across things that are almost evergreen, something that is going to last a lifetime, and so. You know, how do you think about um, that when it comes to not only the uh, keto con, but with also ballistic keto? How do you go about making um, something that's really, really quality that will essentially last or outlive you, um, as opposed to being able to just, you know, bang out everything that people want and the the latest, freshest gadget or whatever it is? Right. That, that's a that's a great question, and it's a hard one to answer. Um, there's a couple of schools of thought and one of them is um, that done is better than perfect. And I'm a big proponent of that idea. Mm. The problem is people take that. And like you're talking about, they, they produce less than authentic or less than appropriate kinds of work under that rubric of done is better than perfect. Mm. Um, and you've got the other people who will never produce anything because they want to, you know, take one more swipe at it, take one more, you know, take, right. just go one more. And they're trying to get that perfect thing. So there's a balance there somewhere. And it's, mm-hmm. I think it's going to change. I mean, there's, it's a spectrum for every individual. Like if we're talking about content creators, evergreen content is always going to be better no matter what, mm-hmm. you know, I, you watch movies today and when they've got pop culture references that are here and now, you might laugh right now, but in 10 years, no one's going to know what that means, right? Yep, exactly. And some people might find that cool because they can research it and they get to have some trivia. And that's great. But the movies that really res- resonate with people are the ones that have that evergreen thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, you know, producing content in any arena, but especially this is the same it's easy to hop on a bandwagon and to be like in the immediacy, but it's better. I think in the long run to have something that you can produce once and it might take you twice as long to produce it, but you can then use it for 10 years and it'll still be just as relevant 10 years from now, you know? And I'm much more of a proponent of that. But, but uh, I mean, the truth of the matter is if you never, if you never publish it, if you never throw it out there, if you never let, the wolves consume it as it were you're it doesn't matter how good it is you know so you you can't right. just hide behind <laughs> you can't hide behind you know i just no i need to make i just need to go through one more time um and this yeah. is the thing that i go through with my team sometimes i have to tell them you know 80% is good enough right now 
you know, this is, we've, we've got a good solution. We can fix it as we move, you know, you let's put it up there. Let's produce it. Let's boom, let's get it out there. And then we can start tweaking it as we move along. We don't have to wait, right? It's better. It's better that we get it out there and then fix it as we move, fix whatever needs to be fixed. And then, you know, instead of just keeping it under wraps for six more months, because we're just polishing off that last 2% that we're just trying to get perfect. That's, that's, a, I, I think that's a huge waste of time. Um, you were talking about ballistic keto, which is a product that I make. It's an MCT powder. It's a flavored MCT powder. Um, and I started uh, ballistic keto, um, because, uh, I had a conversation with Dr. Dominic D'Agostino and he had mentioned, you know, I, I talked to him about my son, um, just kind of offhand. And he had mentioned that MCT powders are good for people with epilepsy. Um, because they're easier on the digestive tract, mm. uh, so so getting them acclimated to it is is easy, but they still deliver MCTs, um, which are very ketogenic. C8 uh, MCTs um, are the most ketogenic uh, fats that there are. C10s being the second most. Um, mm. And uh, what I didn't like about the MCTs that were available on the market at the time was the filler that they used or the the the, the base that they use, I say filler, it's the base. So basically they take an oil and they combine it with a base. That's the powder stuff in order to make it, make this oil into a powder format. <clears throat> and you know, if it's, if it's like corn fiber and things like that, which just, I just, they're not good for you metabolically from my point, from my perspective, or at least there are mm. better options available to you. Um, and I didn't feel good about saying to my son, Hey, try this. Yeah. It's got some, some stuff in there that I don't like, but try it anyway. So I decided just to mm-hmm. create yeah. my own. And, uh, this is where ballistic, uh, ballistic keto started. Um, the MCT powder that we make it's flavored, it's unsweetened. Um, and it's the carrier is sodium cassianate, which is derived from milk. Um, and so it's, so people who are severely lactose intolerant or severely, uh, milk sensitive or dairy sensitive, they probably should stay away from it. Uh, but for the majority of other folks, no problems at all. And it's, it's much better for you metabolically, um, than other kinds of fibers. Uh, the truth is like, um, gum Arabica, uh, or acacia fiber mm. is probably the best yeah. carrier that I've come across yet. It's also the most expensive carrier. So, mm. um, I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm always tweaking stuff. I'm always reformulating and, and, uh, we're actually in the process of rebranding a little bit right now. Um, so I'm always trying to make it better. So it's possible that I can find, you know, if I can find a, a, a pure C8 MCT carrier or MCT producer, um, and I can use that as my base for the flavorings, I mean, that would make things better too. So I'm always looking to tweak and make better and improve um, but this is like we we're talking about before. I got the product out there and I'm adjusting as we move right. forward, you know? Um, yeah. It's, it's like the ready fire aim yes. type thing, you know, there's, Absolutely. there's, there's quality and quantity, but then there's also that point where you just have to release it. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, I fall victim to that a lot where I, I probably, you know, in the past, I probably, uh, just let go of too much <laughs> and, yeah. and it, it, it doesn't, 
do anything for you. Um, and, you know, waiting to that point and being, you know, the, the ballistic keto product, you've made it. Uh, and and I, I've, I've never tried the sodium cassonate before. And, uh, that, that sounds really interesting to me. Um, but you, you, you got it and you've, you've been there and you've done it and now you're learning. And it's that 1% every day. Yes. I remember um, uh, Bjork from Food Blogger Pro talks about the 1% one, 1 every day sort mm -hmm. of mentality and, yeah. you, you know, going through and just making sure that everything's sort of better than you did yesterday. And I thought that and, – and I think that also applies to the ketogenic diet as well. You know, Absolutely. Um, being, it, it doesn't matter where you start. It as long as as long as you know, like for you, when you woke up the day and you said, "I'm just going to start," and you do it the most simple way you can, and then refining it from there. You don't have to like so many people get paralyzed at the start and uh, and don't know where to begin or don't. It, there's just there's too much information out there, and they they're not sure whether to be eating dairy or not, or nuts or not, or eggs or whatever. And it's right. like at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. You've just got to start, and if it works for you, then keep going and and uh, and really get those benefits but um you know from from the benefits that you saw from noah um and the benefits from yourself um how has that impacted uh um because you know you're you're the ketogenic um athlete podcast so you work with danny a lot uh, how does that influence you and your sporting ability so uh, you're saying that you're a runner and a triathlete and you're uh, very uh, inclined to to love uh, jiu-jitsu um, and i'm uh, interested to hear your your thoughts on joshua joshua waitskin um i don't know why it's hard to say that name <laughs> it's a tricky <laughs> but, last name yeah. yeah it is and so like how did the ketogenic diet move for you in that respect because a lot of people listening to this podcast have either you know um they're trying to maybe do a half marathon or a marathon or maybe they're just getting to their first century on the bike or mm -hmm. um was there any big differences for you when you started incorporating the ketogenic diet yeah th so there was there was for me and my wife um cause she's a she's a runner she's a, she plays tennis um same as same same kind of idea um you have to give yourself time to adapt mm. and you have to give yourself enough time to adapt to where your body's deciding whether you're adapted or not, not you, if that makes sense. Mm. Cause if, if you're, it, so I'm sure that you know this cause you do a lot of endurance events. Um, you hold yourself up to a certain standard. So when you give yourself time to adapt, you'll start saying, okay, it's, it's time. I, you know, I've, I need to get out there and start doing stuff. And your <laughs> if your body's not ready, your body's not ready. Right. Mm. And so you, you need to give yourself time to adapt. However, there is, there is something to stressing yourself as you are adapting, but oh, under, understanding that your performance is going to really suck and you're going to feel really bad. Yep. So, so this is again, an example of, playing the long game, right? Like, so if you're willing to put up with um, a series of sessions for two months or three months, whatever it is that you're doing of just you not performing at your best while you're adapting, once your body is fully adapted, that, that period of time that you've stressed yourself in that adaptation phase will pay huge dividends on the, 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 the backside of that. So that you're, you don't then have to regain a bunch of stuff because you were stressing yourself. And when I say stressing yourself, I'm talking about running or writing or, or whatever it is that you're doing. Mm. Um, staying safe, of course, and listening to your body, right? Like not in, not at the, sun, the, at the, the risk of injury. Let's not, let's not be, you know, 
don't do that. Right. Um, yes, of course. <laughs> so, but there's, there is, uh, we've talked to some folks who have done this accidentally and it seems like there is something to the idea of if you stress yourself while you're adapting, it will help you in the long run. Um, as your body adapts, you won't have to make up as much distance or as much time um, with the, with the full increase. So, Interesting. so for me personally, um, I felt like, so I was running. Um, and so before I started keto, um, and I knew I was, I was, I knew I was overweight. I knew I was, um, out of shape. So I used to run five miles a day, right? Mm. I didn't run fast. I was more of a plotter than a runner, mm. you know, cause I was close to 280. Um, so I, um, I would, and I mean every day I was running seven days a week, five miles a day. And that is a lot of stress on your body. And that'll lead to even more depression. I mean, that's a lot of cortisol that your body's got to deal with. And that, that mm-hmm. actually is not that great for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but having said that, and I remember thinking to myself, I was getting fatter. Like I was putting on weight as I was doing this. And I kept thinking like something has got to get. Um, so I, I went keto and I didn't exercise at all. Um, and there, there's a, a couple of different reasons why. One, I still had that that the bad taste of running five miles a day every day in my mouth. And I didn't want to <laughs> yeah. go through that again. Um, yeah. but at the same time, I wanted to get to a point where I felt like I had natural energy, not, um, not made up energy. You know what I mean? Like I didn't want to, mm-hmm. I didn't want it to be artificial. I wanted to feel like when I woke up, like I really feel like I want to go out and exercise today. Not, uh, I guess mm-hmm. I have to go exercise today. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that was my intent, my, my attempt to start listening to what my body was telling me. And it did pay dividends. Um, because when I started running, of course I was, I was lagging from when I left off, you know, I used to, again, I was never fast. I've never been fast in in the distance, not, not since high school. Um, and when I would go from that time before keto, when I was running five miles a day and I was doing between eight and nine minutes per mile, And I start again and I'm at nine to 10 minutes per mile, but I hadn't run in a year or so. And I'm thinking to myself that in and of itself is a victory, you know, like, yes, Mm -hmm. I'm slower than I was, but I'm not having to walk and I'm not having to, you know, I I can keep going and I don't feel bad, you know? Um, So to me, that was a victory in and of itself, but there was that period of time where I had to adapt and I had to give my body a chance to, to, to get used to this new fuel thing. Um, so when we're talking about strictly endurance stuff, yes, I, me personally, and I know people talk about this before I, me personally, I never experienced a drop in my ability to lift. Um, when I switched to keto, I know a lot of people talk about that. Um, and I, I don't, I, I don't, um, discredit their, their account, you know, for me personally, I never dropped my, my, the, 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 the weight that I was lifting didn't diminish um, like my, my maxes didn't drop. Um, I didn't feel any worse. I, and this is what I'm saying. Like I pushed through it. It didn't bother me. Um, I didn't get a sore. I, I recovered much faster, obviously. Um, but mm-hmm. for the lifting thing, it is almost like I didn't have to adapt for that. The running thing I clearly did have to adapt to. Now, the thing that I love to do the most is jujitsu. Mm-hmm. And what I found with jujitsu is as long as I'm ingesting enough salt, I can roll forever. Like I never wow. get tired 
And I roll with guys who are like super big, super strong. They smash me. You know, I'm getting squashed. <laughs> I, I actually rolled a few weeks ago. I rolled with, um, a, uh, a guy's, uh, he's a hip hop guy. Um, his, his bodyguard came into class, came into our open mat. And the dude right. is, the dude is 350 pounds. Oh my God. And he's huge. He's just gigantic. <laughs> and I rolled with him for like 10 minutes or something. And the whole time he's just smashing me down. And mm. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. It sucked. But <laughs> yeah. when the round was over, you know, and we were done and, you know, shook hands, gave each other a hug, said, thanks, man. I was ready to go. Like, I wasn't like, I didn't need to like, I wasn't done for the day. I was like, okay, next one. Let's go. Wow. And I mean, just the, but a key, again, the key for me, and I think for everyone, and it's not talked about enough is if I'm, if I'm getting enough salt, if I, yeah. if I don't get enough salt, I'm, I'm dead. I'm dead to the world mm. and something like that. And I think the electrolytes is the unsung hero when it comes to athletic stuff. Yeah, um, I I do I do remember hearing about um there was a I think the diet doctor was interviewing this guy who was doing open water swimming. Mm-hmm. He was saying that he's ingesting like ten grams of salt a day. Yeah. Yes, and um and for for most people going from a normal diet where you know if if you're running or you're an endurance athlete you've got plenty of glycogen in your body therefore you've got plenty of water storage on your body. Right. Um, but when you go ketogenic, all of that sort of melts away and you have to store water somehow. Um, And yeah, he he was saying that it's like 10 grams a day. And I thought, wow. And I went out and measured 10 grams. I was like, that's almost like five or six tablespoons or something. It it was just like all in one day. I was like, wow, that's crazy. But that is the, 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 it's, it's almost like the same fat fear that you get when you go into the ketogenic diet. You're so scared of eating all this fat. Um, And for a lot of athletes, they're very, very scared of eating too much salt. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's it's funny you bring that up because that was, for me, one of the biggest things that I found when I first went keto uh, is that I was I was cycling a lot, <laughs> and and for me I would I would definitely hit that point where I would just drop off the back, and uh, I wasn't giving enough time for my body to not only adapt to the ketogenic diet but also hold enough water and enough electrolytes and enough creatine basically in all yeah. of my muscles and whatever to to be able to push that distance, and I think particularly for endurance sports that are high intensity, um, it's really really important. So yeah, jujitsu would totally fall into that realm i think so i think so it's a it's a weird combination of like a strength sport and an endurance sport at the Mm. same time like because you've got guys who are trying to strangle you to death and you've got to keep them from doing it right and they're strong so (laughs) you're just you know you're lifting stuff constantly you're just trying to lift them off of you um but at the same time you know you're talking 10 20 30 40 you know hour hour and a half on open mats i'll go for two hours you know and it's um the only time I'm taking a break is if I'm having to instruct someone on something or if, you know, whatever, but otherwise I'm rolling with just different bunch of guys. Um, and I had a, I had an interesting, um, uh, Instagram conversation with a guy who goes to my gym, to my jujitsu school. And he had posted that he said something like, um, about to give on, about to give up on this ketogenic diet. I've got no energy or something like that. And my instructor said, Hey, talk to Brian. Um, yep. this is all over Instagram and I said, Hey, talk to Brian, he can help you. So I was like, Hey man, I'm telling you right now, um, if you're keto, you got to make sure you get your salts. He's like, Oh, okay. I didn't know. So, um, yep. he's trying that and he's having, he's finding better success with it. And what I find is like, I'm 44. I'm one of the oldest guys in my gym, right. In my, in my jujitsu school, but I never get tired. And like, I'm, 
I'm known as the guy that will just keep rolling if you'll let him, you know, like, right. yep. until I got to go until I got to leave for whatever reason. And, <laughs> and I just, I, I enjoy that. You know, that's, it's, it's fun for me. And of course that helps when you enjoy what you're doing, you can go longer just mentally. It's, mm-hmm. it, you're not going to get as fatigued as easily. Um, but what I really find fascinating, I know I'm, I'm all, I'm all over the place, so I apologize, but, um, uh, professor Noakes is professor, uh, Tim Noakes is, um, mm. um, his theory on the central governor, um, I find to be particularly applicable when it comes to jujitsu stuff. Um, so his, his philosophy or his, um, his theory, which seems to have been proven in the literature uh, through his experimentation, is the common thought of muscle fatigue was a buildup of lactic acid, which led to um, loss of like neural control. So you didn't have as much strength, and you got just the, the muscles just fatigued because of overuse. And that mm-hmm. was the common understanding. And he thought that doesn't sound quite right. And it doesn't match up with the chemistry of, of the, of the core samples we're taking from people's, you know, from cyclists legs and things like that. So his idea was instead of an actual chemical process, that's causing this muscular fatigue. It's all in your brain. Like it's all in your mind, literally like it. And he's calling it the central governor where that feeling that you're feeling is a fake false feeling that your brain is producing so that you'll slow down because your brain thinks you're in trouble. So it's trying to convince you to stop. And all you got to do is fight through it. Like all you got to do is just ignore it. And there's a lot of truth to that, you know, from, from my personal experience. So, I mean, I'll always side on the side that, that professor Noakes takes, but from personal experience, I I can totally vouch for that too. So, I mean, it all ties in. It's funny you say that because, um, you know, uh, Tim Noakes was the guy who wrote, uh, I think it was the law of running that was all about carbohydrate loading. Yes. And um, and then he did a complete backflip yep. and 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 came out and said no I was wrong I yes. did, and and I think his next book was the Real Meal Revolution yes or there was mm-hmm. there was a few other ones that anyway so he, yeah he's a fantastic resource to to dive into um, and I think there's there's two documentaries called Serial Killers and Serial Killers Two yes. uh, where mm-hmm. there's a there's a guy who basically <laughs> goes and and does the ketogenic diet and and drops a whole bunch of weight but not only that he he improves his performance and he was like okay this is interesting because the 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 literature out there was all about carbohydrate learning and he right. essentially did the opposite of that. Um, but it's, uh, you know, when you were talking about the central governess, uh, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure on that uh, mechanism, but I, I know that, uh, this book has been recommended to me, um, by so many podcast guests like Zach Bitter and Emily Ballantyne, um, and who are, who are really, um, you know, into endurance sports and being able to push their mind further and it's called how bad do you want it by matt fitzgerald Mm. um and it's a i've only just started reading it but by the sounds of it that's exactly what it is your brain is the limiting factor in terms of how well you can perform and as soon as you start thinking that something is going to go wrong or um you know it's like the psychology of a race exactly. or the psychology of of exactly. endurance sports is just is almost 99 percent of the <laughs> perceived effort um, absolutely yeah I it's mean, uh, i mean there's obviously like room for technique and there's room for all that stuff but i mean if you look at someone like steve prefontaine mm. um who was a um, middle distance runner coming out of oregon in the united states in the 70s that dude understood that. And I mean, his, his philosophy was 
you may beat me, but you're going to bleed doing it. You know, and that's, <laughs> yeah. that's just the truth. Like he knew, like he didn't, it didn't matter how bad he was hurting. He was not going to be beaten. Like he had a mind like steel, you know? Mm. Um, and he was willing, he was willing to come in fourth, but he was, his coach would tell him Bob, uh, uh, Bob Bauman, I think is his name. I, I, Bowerman. Mm. His coach would tell him, you know, you're expending, you're expending something like 50% more energy by leading the pack. And he said, yeah, well, they're going to expend more trying to catch me. You know, that, that's, <laughs> that's his philosophy, you know? So and good. I love that. I absolutely mm. love it. It's so, there's so much of it in your mind. I mean, you're already beaten if you, if you don't approach it the right way. And that, again, you know, it's not to say that you've got to go out there looking to just destroy everyone. You know, mm. Everyone's got different goals, all that stuff. But if you're intentional about what you're doing, if you're intentional about your diet, if you're intentional about your workouts, it's going to be so it's the dividends are going to be so much more powerful to you as you, as you go through time, um, yeah. just having the discipline. Um, I think um, again. Bradley Wiggins is a good example of that too, where he won the 2012 uh, tour de France and he, and he, he wrote this autobiography about it and talks about the, the tour de France being a, a chess game mm-hmm. and you have to go out and understand what all of your rivals are doing from a psychological perspective and what they're going to do next to be able to win. Because if you are going up a hill and you're looking like you're hurting real bad, mm-hmm. um, then it's, it's just to every, everyone else's enjoyment because <laughs> you can, right. you can just see what's going to happen next. Um, and yeah, that was a really interesting book that I read a, a, a little while ago as well. Uh, I don't remember the name of it, but oh man, we could talk about in, in endurance and, and, and athletes and sports like this for, for so long, but, um, I, I think we should probably move on to the, to the short questions and I don't okay. really have a name for this section yet. It's more like the, the, <laughs> it's not the lightning round, <laughs> lightning <Yeah>. round. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but the, 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 the first question I usually ask most people is what is your most favorite keto food? You sort of hinted at it before that you really love steak and, and pork and chicken and all that sort of stuff. But do you have a particular one and then a particular way of cooking it? Um, okay. So let's see. If I'm going for favorite keto food of all time, uh, let me think. I, want, I, don't want to, I want to make sure I don't overlook something. It would probably be steak, and it would probably be uh, a ribeye or a New York strip. Either one, I I, I equate them equally. Yeah. Um, and I just put salt and grill it. And I the, the 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 store that I buy my steaks from, I get them like super thick. Yeah. And I grill them to where they're charred, basically on the outside, and they're nice and nice and pink red on the middle. You know, and the you know and tender on the inside. So. I could probably eat that and just salt it. That's it. No, no fancy flavors, nothing. Just mm. let, let the meat be meat. You know, yep. that's my philosophy. I would I could eat that every day with that. I think, um, that the, the best way that I've ever cooked a ribeye on the bone was in the oven at about 50 degrees Celsius, which is, I think like 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. You cook it in there for, I don't know. I can't remember how long it was. I think it was like five or six hours Yes, <laughs> and it comes yes. out looking amazing. Um, okay, so yeah. now that you mentioned that, I need to amend my statement. Oh, okay. Okay, so if if brisket is done correctly, oh yeah, that would be up there too. Um, mm. Now that you mentioned, you know, cooking for a really long time, the only reason I didn't say this because I don't cook brisket because I don't have that kind of time. 
It's really um, hard to cook. I've tried it a few times and you just, I don't know, I've, I've stuffed it up every single time. <laughs> it's tough. It really, I mean, because it takes, you know, we're talking like 18 hours of just slow smoked perfection mm. to get, yeah, I mean, I, I applaud everyone who's good at it and uh, <laughs> I'll be over to get some in a little while. I think uh, Liz Williams is probably a, a candidate for for making some fantastic tasting brisket. She always posts just some fantastic food on, on yeah. her Instagram. I'm um, so jealous of those folks. I know. They actually do it right. <laughs> yeah. and, and I guess in contrast to this question, what is your least favorite keto food? Do you have anything that is maybe keto friendly that you're just not a big fan of? Anything anything that's in the baked food items. Okay, oh, yeah. so two things. Vegetables, just mm. as a categorical thing. <laughs> Yep. Um, but anything in the baked keto food, like breads and desserts, and I just I don't like them. Yeah, because they can taste really funny, can they? Well, I look. I mean, my whole thing is look. I I changed the way I ate, and I don't want to. I'm not looking for an analog, you know, to mm. the to mm. the way I used to eat. Now, a lot mm. of people stay on keto because they are able to get those things, and I'm not. I'm not. I don't want to d- discourage that at all. That's that's great. But for me personally, I'm not a fan of that. I just I just don't like it. Um, mostly because I haven't really had anything that tasted good. You know, people go <laughs> nuts about certain things, and I I'm over here like this is terrible. I don't really like it at all. Like it's it's just mm. gross. Yeah. So the the, the baked goods. Yeah, I, I I would probably agree. Like I think um, they're they're a great thing for people to transition into the ketogenic diet. But once you find, sort of figure out something that works for you, then you end up just doing that because it makes you feel good. Like having a lot of almond flour or just eating a ridiculous amount of um, erythritol or something is is probably also not the, it, you know, you wouldn't do that on a normal standard diet or some people might, but if you are <laughs> <Right>. talking better, <laughs> like if you go into the, to the shops and avoid all of the middle aisles and go to the outside, if you're eating that sort of style of diet, then you probably wouldn't, um, you know, benefit from the keto breads and stuff. But, but yeah, I'd, uh, as you said before, like it's a good tool, um, but right. eventually finding what you need to, to thrive is, is I think more important as well. Um, right. and so the, the, the next question is what's your favorite type of exercise and, and why is that your favorite? Uh, for me, I mean, I, so we're talking exercise. So can I count jujitsu as that as like a, definitely? A, okay, then that's it. Um, <laughs> and the reason is, um, and this is going to sound weird. And uh, I, I feel weird saying it, but I don't know a better way to explain it. Um, I've always been someone who is sensitive to touch, right? Um, or to, to, to physical contact. Mm. For me, jujitsu is I learn about someone by rolling with them and they learn about me by rolling with them. It's not to get all like woo woo about it, but like it's a way for me to connect to another human being. And mm. it's, for me, it's a form of meditation. Um, I mean, I, I just, I really, really enjoy it. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's hard. It's, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. and it sucks. And especially if you're with someone, if you're rolling against someone who's much, much better than you and they're just ripping your arms off and choking you. And I don't mean to make it sound overly violent. Like <laughs> it's not that bad, but you know, you are, there is a, there is definitely a pain factor involved. Um, but when you are just, uh, it's, you can like all your problems, seriously, it doesn't matter what money problems, relationship problems, um, family problems, job problems, doesn't matter. They all really evaporate fast when someone's trying to choke you. 
You know, like it's all of those things go away and like your entire world like pinpoints down to a single focus of let me get this guy's arm off my neck, you know? And to me, that's, that's a, it's just such a stress relief and it's such a, like, I just really, really enjoy it so much. Um, and it's a great way to stay, you know, active and cardio and the whole bit. And the thing is when you have, when you have, um, mockingly, broken someone's arm or mockingly choked someone out or mockingly dislocated their knee and you can laugh with them 10 seconds later and like have camaraderie, you know, or they did it to you like the same thing to me. That is like, you're not, those are bonds that are tight. You know what I mean? Like Mm, mm. the, the, the folks that I roll with are, are just really good friends because we're trying to kill each other, you know, in, in mock combat kind of thing. And we know that, there's a respect there and we know that there's an appreciation. There's a learning. I mean, just, it's just so much fun. I know I just, yeah. I went on way too long, but it's just, I love jujitsu. It's just a lot of fun for me. Oh no. I, I, I see. I've never done any sort of style of martial art, but I think that um, it's something that is probably missing a lot from our current culture is that we don't ever like, <laughs> we don't wrestle anymore. It's not something that we have to do for food or for, right. to, you know, to, to get the best house in the, in the, suburb or whatever it is like that just that would be work. the best though that would be really yeah. a great way like all right here's this house is up for auction all right we're, here's the yeah. wrestling competition fight right best two out of three oh, pins man. wins yeah that's good yeah I the, like it. the real estates would would uh would have an that's absolute right. blast with that i can Absolutely. see it i can see it now just live streaming anyway um and so in contrast to that what's your least favorite exercise is there something that you just really don't enjoy doing Oh, so I, what I, okay. What I don't enjoy doing is steady state cardio of any kind, particularly mm. I hate riding a bike. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. When I, um, no offense to any bike riders. No, no, just, no, no, no. I just, I don't, I don't like it. Um, when I was training for the triathlon that I did a couple of years ago, that was my least favorite thing. Um, and I just, I can't explain why. But I just, I didn't like it. Now, having said that, I also don't like, um, I don't like doing anything on gym equipment. Like I don't do, I don't like doing any steady state cardio on gym equipment. No treadmills, no stationary yeah, bikes. No. No, I just, I just really, I don't like it. Um, but when it comes to running, I would really, I do not like running on the road, just, you know, down the street and, you know, around the corner if you give me a bike on a trail or if you give me a trail running thing, like I'm out in the middle and I've got to negotiate, not just go left, go right, but jump over this, you know, step out wide here, narrow your stance, duck under like, then I've, you know, I'm competing against trees that are in my way and boulders that I've got to negotiate. Then I'm all over it. Like I love that kind of riding and that kind of running a lot, but Mm. steady state, sort of like, uh, and I'll say safe and I don't want to use that in the wrong way, but just like <laughs> very one dimensional kind of like just go and then come back kind of thing. I, I don't yeah. like it. I'll do it, but it's not my favorite. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And you know what? I have the complete opposite. So uh, whenever I, I, I love writing and, um, and for, for me, I've, I've found a lot of, um, 
you know, if you just go out and ride out and back, that can be totally boring. Um, but if you're riding with a group and there's a sprint or there's like a hill yes, climb or whatever it is, absolutely. that's fantastic. But what I used to do when I was running and I was training a lot for marathons and, you know, that style of, of running where you basically just have to go out and run 30Ks, however, however you do it, um, I would envision myself being on a bike. And I don't, I don't know why, <laughs> but just riding was so much yes. easier to me than running. And so that that vision in my brain, like a, a cyclist would ride past, and I just, I'd, I'd pretend like I was, I was riding a bike. I, I, I just had to glide That's almost. Awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, well, I mean, a, you, very, you do a lot. Thing. You do a lot for your your cadence. Like you can, you can kind of can like you. You should like streamline knees in line. That kind of like mm. you're not you're not uh, wasting lateral movement in your stride, all that kind of stuff. It's funny that you say that because whenever I'm in a state, whenever I'm running, it doesn't matter where I'm running. If I'm like super tired, I start thinking about jujitsu to get my mind off the yep. fact that I'm running. Like I'm working yep. like technique in my head so that yep. I can keep going. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's funny how that. it works. Hey, because it's, it's almost like you need to, um, uh, Zach Bitter talked about it when he was doing the, the hundred mile, um, the hundred mile world record, I think it was. And mm-hmm. he basically said like half of the race is about 70 to 80 miles of that. And then it's yeah. when your body switches out of the automatic, um, I can do this phase into the really hard, like really, you know, what yep. we were talking about before with the mental thing, like, uh, when, when something becomes really hard and your brain takes over that, and you're trying to fight, for that that feeling of being in control, or or, or maybe like right. uh, being you know knowing what you're doing, <laughs> it's, uh, right. it's funny. It's funny how your brain works when you do that. Um, and the next question: Are you do you use any supplements outside of prescription medication that uh, that help you on the ketogenic diet? So I I I I've been experimenting with some supplements lately, um, and I wouldn't necessarily say they help me on keto, but, um, it's like we talked about before, like straight up keto is an 80% solution or 90% solution. Mm. Now to get the other 20, 10 to 20%, you may need to supplement. And this is a part of the problem with supplements is people take them as primaries as opposed to supplements to a good diet. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I, I do now take, um, berberine, um, L-citrulline, um, GABA, um, ashwagandha and magnesium currently mm-hmm. as my, as my daily, um, supplemental routine, the magnesium, obviously, cause you need electrolytes. Uh, it's good for, um, mus- muscle relaxation. Um, the ashwagandha, um, stress relief and, and testosterone levels, um, GABA for, um, sort of brain calming. It's like the, um, it's kind of like magnesium for your brain, even though magnesium has an impact on your brain as well. Um, it's just sleep is a big thing that I'm trying to get under control now. Um, I'm at a point where I haven't slept well for years. And I, the more I read about the impact that sleep has on performance, both, you know, athletically, but also professionally and, and everywhere, I want to try to get better sleep, get better quality sleep. And so I'm trying to, uh, compensate for some of the deficiencies that I've had or currently have. And GABA is one of those supplements. Um, berberine, um, berberine is, is a, um, a blood glucose, uh, leveler, you know, it's, it's from folks that I've talked to who are, who've studied it. 
it's on par with metformin in terms of keeping blood glucose levels low. And I do that not because I need it, but because I want to test how low I can push my blood glucose and still push hard on the mat or when I run <laughs> right. or whatever. Like I just, I just want to see like, and I have yet to feel crappy, you know, like I, I mean, yeah, I felt run it. down. I felt tired cause you know, I just ran or, you know, I'd run for 30 to 40 minutes or I've, you know, done jujitsu for two hours and like been smashed for two hours. Like, yeah, you're going to feel, you're going to feel it, but never mm. like I can't get up. I can't walk. None of that stuff. So, um, I think that was all of the ones. Oh, and L citrulline, because presumably, and I haven't seen actual benefits from this, but I'm just testing it. Um, presumably, if you are if you if you are carnivore, the more protein you eat, L-citrulline allows you to metabolize that protein a little bit better, so that you can economize that 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 uh, building block better. That's what at least that's what I've read. So I'm I'm trying to see if that if I see any benefits for that. Yeah, right. Oh, I'd be uh, really interested to hear about all of those things. Uh, I, I remember, I think it was Ben Greenfield talking about berberine, um, and yeah. uh, he was saying it, it, yeah, it, it drops your blood sugar low levels very low, <laughs> and it's something right. that, uh, like in the in the presence of ketones, it's not too bad, but you probably should be careful um, using it Absolutely. outside of that. Um, but Absolutely. And so, th- the next question, I uh, I was a musician for a long time. Um, and so okay. I, I love What'd hearing people's music taste. I, I was a jazz bassist or am a jazz oh, bassist. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Um, no, so do you so hold on. So Jacob Pistorius, you're a fan yeah, of? Yeah, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. All of that. So I, I, I trained, well, I studied, uh, at the, what they call here in Australia, the conservatorium of music. It's mm-hmm. like a, the, a thing where you basically go and study your instrument. Uh, and I sure. realized that there just wasn't that many jobs and no requirement <laughs> to actually yeah. have a university degree to get into being a jazz bassist. Gotcha. So I did audio engineering instead. Um, and yeah, so I, I just love hearing about people's um, tastes. You know, I, I know I spoke to Danny a lot the, the, about the old school hip hop and the the fact yeah. that I'm just a I'm a huge fan of that and the new new yeah. sort of style doesn't really phase me at all. But is there anything that <laughs> what are your classics and then uh, what are you listening to now that's sort of inspiring you? So I am uh, I'm a child of '80s uh, heavy metal. That's, that's kind of oh, what I grew yep. up on. So, um, uh, to me, the, the, the classics are, um, bands like Metallica, um, Pantera, um, Anthrax, Slayer, those kinds of things. Um, mm. now as I've gotten older and my worldview has changed a little bit, so has, so has some of my musical tastes. Mm. Um, if I had to say, what, okay, so I have three that three bands that I would call my favorite, um, and they are they are disparate in their uh, in their genres. The first band is Demon Hunter, which is a they're a, they're a metal band. Mm. Um, the second is Tool, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, yes. <laughs> they they're my, they I I am somewhat convinced that they made a deal with the devil because they're just too good. Like, I don't know how that, those musicians came together when they did and were able to produce what they did. And like, I, I, it's one of those, one of those bands, like I never get tired of the songs. Like I can listen mm. to them repeatedly. Yeah. Um, 
I just, I love Tool. And I, you know, they're supposed to have a new album coming out and I keep waiting and waiting and waiting. And, oh, really? Oh, they, so they were supposed to release it this year, but then they came out and said it was going to be early next year. And I'm just like, okay, uh. keep quit pushing the, the deadline back. <laughs> but here's my, here's, here's the part that frightens me the most about that. Um, they, there was rumors that, um, I, I don't know how familiar you are with the, the, the tool catalog at all, but, um, or the Canon, the tool Canon, I'll use a jazz term, the tool Canon. Um, <laughs> so, um, but there's, there are short songs and there are really, really intricate long songs. And I was reading an article that was saying that the, their hope is that the rumors are true, that it's going to be more of their shorter songs and less of their really intricate, you know, 12 minute long songs that change, that change, uh, time signatures, you know, 15 times throughout mm. the song. Like those are the songs that I want to listen to those, those really intricate, long cerebral kinds of songs mm. that I can, that I want, right? Like if it's just, if it's shorter version, like shorter songs where it's just kind of like, you know, hit you real hard and it's, I mean, it's, it's impactful and it's great and it's, it's musically wonderful, but like it leaves me, uh, um, incomplete. I, mm. I'll be, un, I'll be upset about that anyway. <laughs> so I love tool. And the, the third one would be, um, counting crows, which is completely different than both of them. Really? Right? So counting crows is, is a band that I listened to when I was in high school and I was hooked on the first song, uh, of the first album, um, August and everything after was the album. And, really the reason it's one of my favorite bands now is because I got my daughter, um, hooked on it. Um, and she and I have that bond. Like we, that's, that's a band that we both really dig and we really enjoy. And we talk about all the time. Like we share like thoughts about songs, you know? So that's a bond that we have. So that's kind of like why it's so, um, why it's so, um, powerful to me. Um, they, they County Crow came, County Crows came to Austin a few months ago and I took my daughter, my wife and my son to, to see it. And it was, it was really an experience for me and my daughter. Cause we were the bigger fans of the, of the four of us. Right. And, you know, we sat next to each other and we like, whenever Adam, the lead singer would talk about like how a song was written or a story behind it, we would get giddy. Like we, oh, I knew that's what that line meant. You know, it's like <laughs> just so many, you know, just geeking out over it. So um, now having said all that, I'm a big, big fan of, of hip hop. Mm. I think hip hop is, um, hip hop can be one of the most, uh, powerful, uh, forms of, I, I don't, I mean, I, I want to, it's going to, I say it's going to transcend just music. Like it's a, it's a powerful form of communication because you're talking about something that is as old as time and that's poetry. Mm. And then you're, you're, you're talking about something that is as new as possible. And that's, that's a, a sampled hook, right? Mm. So you're taking these, this ancient thing, poetry, and this, this brand new thing, which is not even in its, it's still in its infancy, you know, the sampled hook thing, which has only been around for what, 30 years, 40 years. Um, and you're combining those two in ways to convey a story or to explain a feeling or to, you know, just to me, it's tremendously powerful if it's done right. The problem is it's so popular that it can be done wrong right. because, because people are going to pay for it, you know, mm. cause like it's, it says something about sort of the, the, um, instant gratification consumer society that infiltrates every culture. It seems, you know, they'll sacrifice what is 
what is evergreen and good, something we were talking about before for what is instant now. And I'm referring, and I'll just come out and say it, the mumble rap craze that is, that is here. Yeah. Now. Like <laughs> I hate it. I absolutely hate it because there's no skill. Like you've got an audio engineer and you've got a producer who's put the beat together and mm. you have literally four words that you're repeating mm. in a, in a musical triplet over and over and over again. And then you may throw in some sort of, like a hearkening act to the, to a blues turnaround where you change the phrase up a little bit once every 12 bars and then go back to this triplet that you're repeating over and over again. And it just, mm. there's, it's, I look, I'm not saying it has to be complicated, but I mean, it's sophomoric. I don't, yeah. you know, no offense, no offense. <laughs> I know a lot of people like that sort of stuff, but I'll take, I'll take, you know, Tupac telling a story or I'll take, uh, I'll take Biggie telling a story or Eminem telling a story. And I'm, I think Eminem is the greatest of all time. Um, but I, like, I'll take those guys telling a story over a beat that is long and complicated. And you have to listen to it five times before you get the double meanings and the, you know, the jokes and all the things that are in there to, you know, Gucci gang, Gucci gang, Gucci gang, Gucci gang. You know, I'll yeah, take that right. every time. You know what I mean? Uh, look, I, I, I agree with that. 80% because I, I can't say that there's no skill in it. I'm sure there would be some okay. type of, some type of skill that they've perfected over their lifetime. Of agreed. Agreed. I, I will. I, yes. Yeah, but, I'll, uh, I'll rescind that to say that there's no skill. Yes. There's gotta be clearly, you gotta have some kind some, of timing. Yeah. 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 But, but I definitely would agree that there's much more skill in actually putting words together. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, counting crows, like, uh, the, the only song I really know of, of theirs, and I'm pretty sure it's a cover. Is the parking lot? Is that a cover? Is that is that? Their <laughs> it, song? Is a cover. it is yeah, a cover. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, I find that uh, th- I'm fascinated that that's the one you know. Yeah, um, I think it must have been but, as popular in Australia. Maybe I don't know. Maybe so. Maybe so. Mm. I'm a big fan of ACDC. Oh, so, okay. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, but that's okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Also, no, in excess, in excess was a band that was popular when I was a kid, oh, yeah, like yeah, going yeah. through high school as well, before yeah. the tragic end of their uh, lead singer. Um, yeah, yeah. They've they've got a new lead singer now, and I think they they still tour, um, right? But they'll they'll be forever doing last tours like John Farnham, I think as well. Yes. <laughs> well, I'll, so I'm also getting my, my daughter into the Bee Gees as well. Oh, no um, way. So they so, grew, they, the Bee Gees were born out of, um, essentially Brisbane, which is where I live. Mm-hmm. And so right. it's Shorncliffe, which is, uh, where my grandma used to live. And yeah, they've got this huge mu- mural that goes down the sidewalk there. And it's amazing. Like if you ever, if you ever go to Shorncliffe, uh, no Redcliffe, sorry. Um, yeah, it's there, and it's it's really interesting because you know it used to be a town of of retirees basically. Um, so it was interesting that they grew up there and they're sort of like celebrated that coming from Redcliffe. Um, very interesting. Sorry yes. if anyone's listening to the, to this podcast and you live in Redcliffe, but <laughs> it's not a fantastic area. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, you know the 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 last question, and it's usually something that I I think is uh, you know something that you in particular would be very good at, at answering. Um, and if someone has, uh, or if someone has been going through, um, a, a child who has epilepsy and they're wondering where to start and what to do, um, about starting the ketogenic diet, not just for themselves, but for, but also for their son or their daughter, what sort of, 
um, guidelines would you give to that person? And, um, and how would you best describe the feeling of, um, you know, knowing that you've found something that works? Uh, so I'll take the second question first, um, to describe, I and, and the reason is because I don't, I don't know that there's a word to describe it. Like, um, cause the thing is with, with epilepsy is you never know every day, right? So, because epilepsy is so insidious, you just don't know if there's going to be a seizure today ever. Mm-hmm. Right. So all you can do is look back and see, I've had this many days, you know, or my son or daughter's had this many days and that's that you can hold on to. Right. Um, but it's just, it's a situation where it does give hope, which is important. I think, I think hope is so overlooked, especially Mm -hmm. in today's day and age. Um, it, it does give hope that if you can look back and say, it's been this many days and there's a strong likelihood that if I continue doing what I'm doing, it'll be this many days more. And that to me, that is a powerful motivator. It's a powerful, just sensation. Um, Mm. so it's hard to say for sure that like we found the thing, right? Cause you never Mm. know. Mm. But having said that, if someone, if if you're, so if a parent of a child with epilepsy is looking for resources, the Charlie foundation, uh, in the U S is a primary source for folks. Now, um, they are, they are fantastic. They're a charity. They've got a lot of great resources. They've got a lot of great, um, um, information on their website. It's charliefoundation.org, I believe. Um, but at the same time, I would also talk to, uh, your, your neurologist about it as well, because there's an actual prescribed ketogenic diet for someone with epilepsy. Mm. And you'll hear people talk about a three to one or a four to one, um, ratio when we're talking about epilepsy. And there are some kids who thrive on an MCT uh, version of the ketogenic diet. And there are some kids who thrive on the low glycemic version of the ketogenic diet. So you, you want to understand what all of these different versions are so that you can start somewhere mm-hmm. and you can, and you can begin with that and then tweak and tailor again, this start with an 80% solution and then tweak and tailor as you move forward. Like we talked about in so many other things before, um, Charlie foundation, um, obviously keto evangelist, the, the keto evangelist.com website's got, um, information and links all over the place, you know, listen to podcasts that talk about epilepsy and the treatment of, um, Jade Nelson, uh, Jillian Zolos, um, life electric is another, uh, organization, um, here in Austin, they're all adults living with epilepsy. Then they have tremendous amounts of resources and connections throughout the community. Um, so it's, it's, there's, there's, there's a ton of information out there. Um, but the, the, the key though is to form a game plan with your child and make sure your child is, um, on board with it. Because unfortunately, as much as we, as a parent, I want to be able to, um, make sure my son or my daughter is taking care of themselves. Um, I can't be with them 24 hours a day, mm-hmm. you know, and I have to make sure they're equipped and they're knowledgeable and they're, they're ready to, to deal with the challenges that are going to face them. So as a parent, you've got to prepare them in that way and you've got to make sure they understand the consequences for their actions and, you know, they have to be invested. So, um, 
I, I just, I encourage any parent of a child with epilepsy to, to investigate the ketogenic diet, um, you know, and learn about the different kinds, learn about how, you know, what fits best with your lifestyle, what works best for your child, that kind of thing. So, um, just, there's, there's so much information out there. There's really no excuse to not find something, start something and then tweak it. And of course, if you've, you know, if you're not having a lot of success, talk to your doctor, you know, Mm -hmm. tell them that you want to pursue this. It's becoming, so it used to be the only treatment for epilepsy was, Mm -hmm. was the ketogenic diet. And then pharmaceuticals came in, in uh, the thirties, 1930s. And then ketogenic diet as a, as a prescribed method of treatment went, fell to the wayside. And it wasn't until, uh, 40 years later or so that it started to come back into, uh, vogue as a, as a, as an alternative standard of care. And now it's moving more toward the forefront as a standard of care as more and more research comes in. So talk to your neurologist, tell them that, you know, if you, you know, we want to pursue the ketogenic diet, give me my options. You know, they should have resources for you. You know, if it is something like, uh, and if I'm going too long, please stop me. If it is something like you're doing a four to one or a three to one, that is a very meticulous kind of diet. But if it's going to keep your child seizure free, it's worth it. Um, four to one means basically you're taking four, uh, four parts fat to one part protein and carbohydrates combined. Mm. And of course, three to one is the same thing, just three parts fat to one part protein and carbohydrates combined. And you have to make the meals exactly to that ratio every single time. And, you, there are resources out there that give you meal plans and give you um, all sorts of layouts and and, uh, and and methods for making sure that you can sort of batch cook these things and set them in, in you know in daily um, receptacles and that kind of thing. Also, fasting produces great results for epilepsy uh, for for folks with epilepsy hmm. um, because obviously it keeps the ketone levels high. You right. know, if you're if you're intermittent fasting or if you're prolonged fasting for 24 to 36 hours, that kind of thing, that's going to really help your child's epilepsy as well, according to the research. Mm. Now, there will be some kids who don't respond at all to any ketogenic implementation whatsoever. That's, that's, that's just unfortunate, but that's just that's the reality. Um, so I don't want to oversell it. I don't want to try to make someone think this is a, you know, it's, it's too good to be true because it's not a 100% solution. I wish it was. Because it's mm. it's a seventy to eighty percent solution, which to me is miraculous in and of itself. Mm. But it's worth a shot, you know. If it's if it's worth a shot to see if it helps your child, right, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Um, anyway, I hope I answered the question. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think um, uh, throughout all of that, it's like just arm yourself with the knowledge, and uh, and the the result is it, it it doesn't. Well, I mean, like it's. Uh, it's hard for me to say. Like the 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 if you have the knowledge, um, then the results may come. But if you don't have the knowledge, nothing will change. Um, right. So Absolutely. I mean, if you're if you if you know what it is that you're preparing for, you have a you stand a higher likelihood of achieving it mm-hmm. rather than just throwing something to the wall and hoping it sticks. Right. You know? That's exactly right. And so, lastly, uh, where can people find you? Where can people get in contact with you? And uh, and if they want to learn more about uh, actually, if you're listening to this podcast right now, pause it, go and subscribe to the Ketogenic Athlete and the Keto Evangelist podcast. Uh, that would be a huge favor from me. Um, it's very and, nice of you. And, uh, you know, for, for, for anyone out there, uh, where, can, where can they find you? 
Uh, so those are two places. Um, uh, my, my main site is ketoevangelist.com. Um, on social media, I'm ketoevangelist. On Twitter, on Instagram, uh, on Facebook, I've got a ton of groups. Ketogenic Success, uh, the Ketoevangelist Kitchen, the Ketogenic Athlete. Um, so I've got the Ketoevangelist Podcast. I've got the Ketogenic Athlete as a podcast. And I've got Ketoevangelist Kitchen as a podcast. Um, all these resources, um, we just, again, we're trying to make it impossible for someone to not be keto. Um, <laughs> you know, and we just, we want to, we want to present as much and as full of a panoply of options to people. Because the reason I split off like the athlete thing is because not everyone wants to work out. And, you know, mm. I don't want to shame anyone for that. I don't want anyone to feel bad for that, mm. but they still want to have you know, delicious food. So I started the kitchen, mm. right? So if you want, if you don't want to work out, but you really want food stuff, you shouldn't have to wade through all the workout stuff to find the food stuff. So I exactly. split those things yeah. off. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's the, the whole point of it was to give everyone as much of an obvious, uh, just blinking light of here's where you'd want to go. If you want to find this stuff. Mm. Um, and I'm so grateful for folks like you who are just adding to the voices, right? Um, I, I want to say thanks to you, uh, Aaron, for being willing to put a podcast out there. Cause there's some people who think, ah, you know, there's a lot of, there's already a lot out there. Why would I do that? But your voice is unique, you know, and your story is unique. So you're helping people because they relate and resonate to what you're doing. So by doing that, you're making people healthy. And I, I just want to say thank you. And I appreciate you doing that. Oh man, thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, because uh, when you're when you're stuck down in the weeds of it, uh, all you hear is the negative feedback, and so it's really really <laughs> nice to <laughs> get some some really positive feedback. So yeah, thank you so much. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I just had such a blast on this podcast, and I really hope everyone who's listening uh, also enjoyed this podcast too. Um, and again, go ahead and subscribe to the Keto Evangelist podcast and also the Ketogenic Athlete if you are so inclined. And I'm sure I will be talking to you soon, Brian. Well, I really appreciate it. Uh, we need to get Danny and I need to get you have on the get you on our show so we can talk about running. Oh, damn, definitely. Yes, <laughs> the the fact that All I right. envision running and cycling. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> All right. right, thank you so uh, much, Brian. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. It was an honor. Much for listening. If you loved this podcast, make sure you hit subscribe to be notified next week when the podcast arrives. If you could do one small act of kindness for today, I would greatly appreciate a review from you. It's really easy and it allows me to keep making podcasts just like this one every week just for you. Head on over to fatforweightloss.com.au forward slash podcasts for the latest updates and all the show notes. Until next week.